0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up, that's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 258th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit iwanttosaveseeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. On today's podcast, we have someone who has been helping share knowledge as her part of the food revolution. We are talking to Deb Burns of Story Publishing about how to get a farming book published. Story Publishing is a prolific publisher of farming and gardening books. Having roots going back to the 1970s, their in-house editors and designers embrace the challenge of complementing each author's work with book design, editing, and original illustration or photography to enhance the book's distinctiveness and make it accessible as well as practical. We have had many story authors on our show and thought it might be great to get useful information on how to get your book published. Deb has been an acquiring editor at Story Publishing for 23 years, where she oversees books on farming, animals, and nature. She attended Bard College, UC Berkeley, and currently lives in the beautiful Berkshires of Massachusetts. She loves making music and traveling the world and has authored books on history and travel. Welcome to the show today, Deb.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
1: Well, to get to be an editor, I was a literature major in college and then took off and traveled pretty much majored in travel in my twenties and traveled all around the world. I was, and I kept a lot of journals and really writing was very important to me. And then I lived in a commune for a few years in California in the Bay Area and the commune had a little newspaper and I sort of found myself working on this newspaper, which we wrote and illustrated and did all the reporting on the, people that were in the commune, mm-hmm. which were about 80 people. And it was so fun. I just said, this is what I want to do is this kind uh-huh. of writing about people and what they're doing. And so then I got into sort of the publishing industry that way and, and eventually wended my way back to the Berkshires where my husband and I came back here to where I was from to have our children. Mm-hmm. And after my son was one year old, I looked around for jobs and there was a opening at story publishing and so i began as an editorial assistant and then just kind of you quickly became an editor and then was started acquiring books and then now all this time has somehow gone by
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it does that doesn't it <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about story they've been around for a while and put out some amazing topics what can you tell us about story publishing
1: story was really born in the 70s uh, during the back to the land movement then mm. and It was a lot of people, it was very similar to recent times in terms of that the people wanted to crave to kind of cut through all the middle-class stuff in the way of living and Uh wanted to know how to do stuff themselves to be self-reliant to personally independent. Those are all concepts, the values that are really important to story. In fact, our mission statement, which we have in every book, just says we publish practical information to empower people, basically, to make them personally independent and self-reliant in harmony with the environment. So that is really such a 70s concept and mm. yet it it holds it's held like gold through all these years we all love this the mission statement and even young people just out of college joining us and, uh-huh. and everybody and it's very powerful for us as a motivator and as a sort of standard for our books, right? And so we do books in a variety of categories, but always about sort of practical skills. And a lot of books of our books are somehow connected food, whether food production or food preparation or preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of a common theme. But we also do a lot of books on crafts. We have a fabulous craft category, and we, you know, knitting and and weaving and right. spinning. And then we do quite a few books on nature, which is one of my specialties, and Bird watching and whatever else. And then we have really strong children's category where oh, nice. children can learn these practical skills, the essential skills of life, whether it's cooking and baking or sewing, or we have a, a whole bunch of different building. We have a lot of, of different concepts in the kids' world as well. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of a snapshot of what we do.
0: Well, and story publishing has come a long way. I mean, I have on my bookshelf here at the Urban Farm some story published books from the 70s. I'm guessing they're 70s and they're very simple, saddle stitched, which means they were stapled. I know there's one there on composting. It's probably the books five by seven. Yeah, All black and white, all the way to, we just interviewed Laura Allen on our show here on Water Green Landscape recently. And I'm holding her book in my hand right now. And this is a beautiful four color, really well illustrated, just a stunning book. So you guys have come a long way.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, the first type of, the first book you were talking about was our bulletins, which were called the country wisdom bulletins. Oh, and yes. those sold originally for a couple of dollars and mostly it was through direct mail and those have been from the beginning and there are all kinds of topics and we have hundreds of them, but we actually have stopped publishing them directly. But people always request them, people love them because you know you get this practical, clear information in a very digestible form. Right. But you know, over time obviously everything's evolved and there's a lot more to say about everything. Also, it's been an important value for us to have our design beautiful books produced. So bringing in color, we don't want to sort of still be doing black and white books when the rest of the world is doing color. So we've really embraced color and we have wonderful designers and we enlist great photographers and illustrators and have wonderful covers. So, So that's been a real joyful kind of progression for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'll bet you've seen a lot of that happen in 23 years.
1: Yeah, certainly have. There was a time when we, you know, were really only doing black and white books except for a very few gardening books that Mm -hmm. really require color. But then over time we sort of noticed how well they were doing. They all did so well that just thought, okay, it's time. And now, like Laura's book, in being in color, you could do that that one in black and white. Yeah, but you could have. It just was so. It was so nice to be able to do it in color. And so we we have another example is we did a book a number of years ago with Temple Grandin.
0: Oh wow! Yes,
1: it's called Humane Livestock Handling, and it was a great book and really, of course, received rave reviews on Amazon and everywhere else. But it is all black and white, or you know, illustrated. And so just now, this spring, we've just come out with a brand new book with Temple that is on really small-scale livestock handling, how to work with farm animals and using Temple's principles. And so it's in full color, and we did several photo shoots in Colorado where she lives. And and just being able to show a ranch with all these sheep pouring out of one pen into another or showing her sitting among the cows in the field. And it's just very inspiring. And so that's part of it. There's an emotional content when you have the color and the big visuals that really lifts the reader up.
0: So, wow. Let's talk about what it might take to get one of our books published. What do you look for in an author?
1: so we look for the topic really is first mm-hmm. unless it's an established author that already worked with and want to continue to do sort of a whole bunch of books with right going directly to the author first and in particular in my category since mm-hmm. to be mostly most relevant to the listeners i really welcome farmer authors we have some splendid writers who are authors i really you know i sort of picture them ruminating while driving the tractor, you know, thoughts while plowing, spots <laughs> right, exactly. while haying. And I just think that that kind of work, it's such a good place to kind of have sort of make observations in your mind and contemplate what's going on and ponder it and think about it. And there is so much to think about as you're viewing the natural world, you're working with it, the plants, the birds and the insects and weather systems and they find the patterns and they find the meaning and and then they have ideas and they notice what works and mm. and then they might have a brainstorm or something like that. So as a group, we really welcome that. I would say that for our books the writing needs to be very clear. Clarity is mm. the very first mm-hmm. priority and direct and plain in a way. It's like a lot of people come to us, they've been to grad school, and they're writing in an academic style that Mm,
2: really doesn't work
1: for us. And we have to (laughs) kind of back off, peel that back, because passive voice, and it's using academic lingo and and sort of like the means of accomplishing something instead of just saying how to do it. Right. Just plain, straightforward, not being shy about telling the reader what to do. It is a little scary to use the imperative, but Mm -hmm. that is really the cleanest way to do it.
0: Sounds to me it's like writing simply.
1: It is writing simply, yes yeah. it's very it's writing simply as as if you were just telling someone how to do something. We have authors that really exemplify this, and one of them is is a very successful author, Gail Damoreau, who's oh yes, writes books on chickens most particularly mm-hmm. she's written some you know, outstanding bestsellers on raising chickens as well you know she's written a variety of books on draft horses and fencing and I call her the Jane Austen of chicken book authors because her writing—it's direct and vivid, it's vigorous, and yet it can also also humor. There's a dry right. quality sometimes to wit. She has a way of describing something like how an egg is formed inside mm-hmm. the chicken, and it becomes this incredible journey. And you're just you're just like on the edge of your seat. So it's all of that. The writing style is most important. Equally most important mm-hmm. is having something to say. Yes so that becomes the topic and i always say the three things are the three us in terms of your topic or your your book concept is it useful is it user friendly and is it unique and those things are three things that for story are key so it has to be has to be practical useful It has to be user friendly so that it's really accessible, so someone really can replicate what you do. And then, but the uniqueness is true of any kind of book publishing. The best thing is an original idea, an original concept, or an original way of presenting it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just say one, one final thing in terms of what we look for in authors is nowadays, increasingly, they need to be able to promote the book. They need to have some, and this is a practical thing, but having some sort of platform has become really essential for us. Well, I shouldn't say essential, but it's extremely desirable yeah. that we're not starting from scratch, sort of building their name and their reputation, but that they already have their own ways of getting the word out. They have they're active on social media. They have a blog or they, you know, obviously they may have other books. Right. So having the author have energy and Yeah, a following is a huge thing to have a base already. Mm -hmm. This is a a change from the old days. I mean, you know, my dad was a writer and in his time, writers often were introverts, just had Mm -hmm. something amazing inside them to share, but they weren't expected to then go out and sell the idea. But nowadays it is part of what happens and because it's just everything's so competitive and there's so many there's so much information out there that that the author really has to play a part in in sort of shaping his or her own story and
0: nice so what do you recommend for an aspiring author who wants to take their farming topic to the next level
1: there's a whole sort of system a method they should shape it into a proposal mm. which is a very good exercise in itself mm-hmm. and the proposal They're probably pretty standard across the publishing industry. For us, a proposal includes fundamentally, first and foremost, a statement of the topic of what your book is going to be about, which is pretty obvious. But, you know, even, even just a paragraph to summarize what this is, and why people should be interested in it. And then from there, are there underlying trends that is, or is there a movement that's kind of behind this? Are there, or is there something that's percolating that's coming along? What are the bigger kind of picture? What's the bigger picture of the market out there, the potential audience, and how this book sort of plays a part? Is it a new take on an old idea? Is it a new idea entirely? Have you sort of solved a problem? Is it a solution to some stubborn problem, or is it unique technique or system?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, so how your idea fits into what wider interest there might be out there, and and then, of course, then we would like to have a table of contents, which doesn't have to be super detailed, but right. to give us a sense of the flow of the book, the structure that you envision, how you're going to tell this story, and. That's really probably the most important thing, aside from the opening paragraph, is just how have you developed this idea and what's really going to be in there. I mean, if we like the opening paragraph, we're probably going to be fine with your table of contents. We just want to know more right. about it. And then you need to tell us about yourself and your background and your platform and and why you're the best person to write this book. hmm and then you need to tell us a bit about any competitive titles out there. What other books are like yours on the same topic or that your book kind of takes takes a little further? Why is your book better than all these others? Or are they kind of carving out a place where your book will be comfortable you know, right. out in the bookstore? Are they kind of like showing because of their success that, that there's an audience for the kind of book you want to write and that it'll be the same people that are reading this other book? They need to know like what's going to be the sort of competitive landscape for the book. So I, I think that basically it's it's those things. It's the topic and the table mm-hmm. of content. So in other words, what this book is, and then it's the market and what the, what the world is like, where the book is going to land, why this book needs to come out. And then there's who you are and why you're telling the story. And finally, yeah. what other books are out there to, to sort of lay the groundwork or compete with it or anything
0: like that wow, if somebody were to do this, you're right, it is a great exercise. This is really going to inform you. I'm just thinking for me, I've got a couple of books pent up inside of me, and if I were to do this for my books, it's really going to inform the book and how it would get done and you know who I'm speaking to, and it, is there a market for it? That's really what you're asking for.
1: Yes, exactly, and actually what you just said is is really an important thing to emphasize that the first thing is to determine what you want to say, but the very next thing is to say, who are you saying this to? You know, who is your reader? And yeah. then that that informs so much. And, it, you know, it's how you're going to be writing the book. But it, over time, it also becomes a profile of sort of an audience or a market that helps us position the book mm-hmm. and helps our salespeople understand What it is and where and how to sell it and your portrait of your ideal reader is that you hold in your mind is is really helpful. Like is the more you know about that audience, the demographics, it's mostly a female audience. Is it a, a millennial audience? Is it all ages? Is it big baby boom retirement interest? And also globally, it's we really value, I, especially in my categories, our books travel all over the world and go into many languages. And so for me, when I see a topic like Laura Allen's Greywater book and realizing that is a topic that would be useful all over the world, Mm. that's really good to know and and it's very inspiring to us when something comes along and we we can see that kind of global possibility for it and that it could go to a village in Uganda and be right. useful there so the more you as an author can think about where this would sell who would read it beyond mm-hmm. just your mom
2: right so exactly just like
1: who are the who are the readers that you've sort of perceived out there. And one of the best parts of our jobs is we get to go to a lot of sort of conferences and things like the mother earth news fair that are now there, six of them all over the country. And one's coming up next weekend for the first time in new England in Vermont. And there we really see our audience because those fairs draw thousands and thousands of people. And they're just all moseying around looking, you know, trying out electric cars and different ways of brewing Mm -hmm beer and trying different kinds of sampling food and going to workshop. We see our audience in the flesh and we go to an event like that. And I think our authors do too. And then later we may have them go to one of those events and speak or give a workshop. We do, it happens all the time. And so then they get all this juice back from their right. audience, like electric fencing. Electric fencing mm. is huge in this audience. So you know who you're writing for. It gives a lot of energy and motivation and clarity.
0: Wow. That was a major nugget in itself, right, what you just shared with us. So thank you so much for that. That's uh, That gives me clarity. So I know that it'll give our listeners clarity as well. Do you have any hints on things to avoid?
1: First of all, the academic language. Oh, yes. I know I'm using that phrase in a very general way, but it's the passive voice and the circling around a subject instead of just stating it. So mm-hmm. in other words, just being fine to be the expert. You're the expert and you just can tell as clearly as you possibly can. Economically, fewer words are a great thing. It's much easier for the reader. And nowadays, readers increasingly read less eagerly. I mean, they just like if they see a page, a long paragraph, lots of text, they can get turned off. Unfortunately, we are aware of this and just being able to shape text so that it's really inviting and it just makes people Yeah, easily flow read it. through it. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. yeah. So that's one main thing, and I think also too much I oh, capital yes. I is a problem. It's okay now and then. It's nice for the writer to tell their own story and adds a lot of flavor, often humor and good stuff. But it's just if you see it all over the place, then you just start thinking a bit of a turnoff to a reader and
2: too much. Yeah,
1: and then some people say. Feel uncomfortable with that, so they say we do it this way. And then you say, "No, we don't need that either. Just tell the reader, you know, what to do." Anyway, that's a little bit of a subtle thing because it really depends on the situation. But
0: yeah, well, and you can use it a little bit. You just wouldn't want the whole book to be written that. Yeah, yeah. I think you use it
1: where it's appropriate and where it's really a personal. There's a real personal choice there, and the only other thing to avoid is pretty obvious. If there's a zillion books out there on your topic, you have to find a really unique way of telling the story or presenting it. But not to say that that can't happen. You really have to kind of do a little bit of research. But I think that's pretty obvious to an author.
0: Right. Niche it well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And make sure it's, it's a good storybook. Ideally, with any publisher, you can look at their website and see what they do and get their catalog if you can and just get a sense of the kinds of things that your book would be comfortable next to. That is a very important thing to do and helpful. It saves everybody time if you've if it's a good fit from the start.
0: So how long does it take to get a book published?
1: From the time the manuscript arrives to publish is at least a year. And often it's more like fourteen months. And that is partly because of the careful job we do with the design and the building of the book, the commissioning of illustrations and the photo shoots. Mm And all of those take a while and they have to be done very thoughtfully and carefully. And then when it's a color book, it often goes overseas, which adds an, a month onto the, the time frame when it's oh, for coming printing, across the ocean. for printing. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the whole thing is a long process and there the author is actively involved during much of that time, although there's sort of some periods that are kind of black holes where it's completely out of the author's hands right. and it's out of the editor's hands. And so there's kind of a period of a drought there. And so it takes a long time. And we... Acquiring editors are always looking out two years. We're Mm. like right now, we're acquiring for 2019, for the fall of 2019. We're just about to step into 2020. Right. Like amazing. (laughs) But we're having to think. I always say it's like we're standing at the very prow of the ship and we're looking out ahead into the fog. What's going to be happening two years out? That can be a challenge because sometimes you think, okay, well, definitely peak oil is not going away. Mm -hmm. And two years ago, we'd have said peak oil is not going away. And now suddenly we're in this oil glut. That kind of thing can happen. You just can't predict. You can't predict. You couldn't predict what the country's state of mind would have been now. And you you also couldn't predict things like colony collapse disorder with bees and the kinds of issues that would be coming up. So the books have to have some flexibility during that two years Mm -hmm. in terms of managing to, be nimble enough to kind of absorb changes. So we we are able to do that right up till the end, just before it goes to the printers.
0: Well, and the truth of the matter is, is that two years flies by so fast when I'm 56 years old now. And, you know, I look back two years ago and it's like, whoa, what happened? Right. You know, it just flew by. So if you have a book you're thinking you want to get published, now's the time to start. And if you write 500 words a day for the next year, you're going to have a book.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And plenty of authors do it much more quickly. We, in terms of the writing part, we give the author often a year, but sometimes it's just three months. Sometimes they've already got it mostly written, which is one thing that I do recommend. If we are... Taking a while on decision on a book, whether to do a book or if we ultimately have to turn it down. I'm I'm always thinking. I think that author should just be writing. You know, they should just yeah. be writing it because not waiting for the contract before they start. They should be writing now when they've got the energy and because they're going to have a book then. And once <laughs> exactly. they've written it, it's going to happen. But. Not to wait until they actually have the first advance check. That just seems to me not... Right. Especially because we often do work with new writers. Mm -hmm. We love working with new writers, and they should know that it's the best thing to do is just to get it going and get into it and start confronting the reality of writing a book before it's actually on deadline.
0: You're an acquiring editor there. Assuming I'm going to write a book for you, how do you help me as an author?
1: So what do I actually do?
0: Yeah. What do you do? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, let's see. It's a really good question. First of all, we receive the idea from Mm -hmm. you. And it's really our most important job, I think, is to help you shape that idea so that it will be accepted by us Mm. and so that it works for us so that our salespeople immediately say, oh, yes, can we have this tomorrow? That's the best thing when you hear that. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's going to be two years, but to be able to help an author... Develop the idea into a workable proposal to help them look at their table of contents and organize Mm -hmm. that. That's all part of what we do ahead of the game, but it's a very important thing. Mm. And then we take, and we also help you with the proposal itself in terms of helping you identify trends or important websites or other books you might want to know about or people that you might want to know about and just mm-hmm. what's going on in the market. We do a lot of sort of immersing ourselves in, in the world of the book when, as we're kind of helping you develop it so that we're as knowledgeable about it as possible. And then right. we then take that proposal once it's ready, we take it and present it to our entire company, which is a big moment. It's a wonderful moment. I really love it. And we're sharing this for the first time and uh-huh. we have to defend it sort of like a dissertation or something where we have all to right. say why we think this is a great book and why you're the only person that could have written it and all of that. And then they ask us questions and they have good questions and we have to kind mm-hmm. of think of the answers and think on our feet. So we're representing you and that. You're, we're your advocate. And then we also have to help formulate sort of the look of the book. You know, we we sort of conceptualize that with you. And then we have a really gifted art design staff that weigh in on that and put in their ideas. And they have always have really good ideas. And then once we've got salespeople and everybody saying, let's do it, then we, our team puts together a budget based on sales projections and cost estimates. Mm -hmm. And when the budget balances, then we have the green light and then we draft a contract and send it to you. And you mull it over and hopefully you say yes and you sign and and then you get going on it if you haven't already. And then during the process, we have a due date set in the contract. And so you may be in touch a lot or you may not be, you may be just happily writing, but then you submit the book. And at that point, we dive into what's called the substantive editing, which is where We really read it for content and organization, and we might be helping add subheads and saying, well, shouldn't this chapter be here, or should this really have parts with chapters in them, and Uh and looking at all the art that you will have also suggested art. You will have sent a a wish list of art, illustrations, photography, or diagrams, infographics, whatever, and so we go over that really carefully with you, and then after that sub-edit phase is done, we send it To a copy editor who does dots the i's and crosses the t's and then and does a little bit of checking of Uh facts what any references they they check and then we send it all back to you for you with queries all over it just like festooned with queries that Mm -hmm. did you really mean this or i don't think it's spelled right or whatever you know i mean we will have all kinds of things and then you have to address all of those one way or the other although you you know you don't have to say yes to everything we propose but you just have to have looked at it and thought about it. it Yeah. And then you finish it up, send it back to us, you can add anything at that point, then we get it ready to transmit to production. And meanwhile we get illustrations and photography underway and then it goes into production and it's it's first it's meanwhile had a sample design done, which is a big thing, and then gets wow. flowed into the the design, then you will be seeing sets of pages as they evolve and then we see them go over them very carefully. And there may be all kinds of tweaks that are needed, or, you know, there Mm -hmm. usually are. And then we kind of shepherd it along, and and eventually it goes through all its processes, goes into pre-press, and then goes off to the printer. And that's what we actively do with you. Right. But we also stay with you. You get sort of turned over to our publicity and marketing department who then handle all the promotion things. We sort of stay with you in the the big sense, because if you have another book idea, then you'd bring it to us again. Right.
0: And here I thought writing it would be the hard part. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like writing it's going to be the easy part.
1: Well, writing it seems like that's all you need to do is that one thing, Mm -hmm. but within that one thing, there's so much. With editing, there's just a lot of little things within that thing. There's so many different tasks, but with writing it, you just need to write the thing.
0: So speaking of writing, you've written a few books as well.
1: Well, I first wrote a book for story that was a travel book that another author had started, and I had done so much traveling that I was making so many suggestions that I think it got really irritating for her. (laughs)
2: <laughs> way back
1: when I was had just been there a couple of years, and ultimately uh-huh. she pulled out of the project, and it was a wow. lot of fun. But then after that, I've done books on local history. I wrote a book on the New England Shakers, which was mm-hmm. just an right. utter blast to do, and and a, another wow. work of local history, and so those have been my books, and. I also was a columnist for the Berkshire Eagle for many years, which was about nature and, and history. And, and that's a wonderful exercise for anyone who likes to write is being able to have a regular every two weeks column with a specific word count and everything. That's great discipline. Ah, you're thinking, oh, what yes. am I going to write about? What am I going to write about? Yeah. But you learn a lot because you learn that even something that you force out of yourself can still, people can say, I love that one. You know, and you're just like, what? Yeah. You know, but you learn a lot about about your your own writing, I was also a reporter, a journalist, and that's when I went back to when I went to UC Berkeley. It was for journalism, and and so I was a journalist in India for a while and learned a lot wow. about writing there and about especially the importance of being terse because writing for a newspaper is such good practice because you really have to learn how to be yep. condensed and just have it as full of meaning as possible without taking up a huge amount of space. I recommend that for people that are thinking about writing this kind of book newspaper mm-hmm. writing is just, or just even reading newspaper writing, you, you learn a lot yeah. from how it's done. Oh,
0: cool. Cool, cool. And I'm going to shift on you now. And I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it.
1: Okay. Well, so the word failure is an interesting one. and It's really not in our vocabulary here at story. <laughs> Good. And I think that's because we're a company and we, collaborate really closely on these books. And so each book has a team of people on it, probably twelve people that are working on it at some point in all the stages of its life. And everybody's really invested in it and, you know, putting their all into it. And the thing is that we I'm saying this as a fact, not as bragging, but we don't do bad books. We only do excellent books. They're useful mm-hmm. and they're beautiful. And many of them are sort of important. And the book itself is never a failure because it's it's test of fire. You know, there's so many meetings about right. it and people are saying, Oh, that cover is not working for me or you know you burn out all the imperfections and you come out and it polishes it through the process so that we're mm-hmm. we're really proud of every book we do and sometimes we're just amazed at them so that is not where a failure might lie it sometimes doesn't find it market, and so that can be something that I might take on as my own failure in terms of, of it. You know, I mean, it's the market might have shifted, and so for me, thinking a book would work and it doesn't would feel like a failure. I'd feel like it was a disappointment to the author and to everyone who worked so hard on it, and I would know that it's a really good book, and why isn't it finding its audience. So how you deal with that is just to work all the harder to know as much as you can about the world that the book is going to land in. And so Mm, it's really, as I say, it's the book itself is going to be good. It's just how it's going to be received. So that's one type of thing. And then another thing I think is, asking an author to do something that they can't, which might mean asking them, I need such and such as to be added to this. And then it's very hard for them because it's not a kind of experience they've had or writing they've had. I mean, I could see that Mm -hmm. that could be a problem, but it also can be that some may just not be able to do the kind of promotion that is required nowadays, which is some still are introverts or want to be on their farm. Farmer authors, they tend to have a hard time leaving the farm for many reasons. And that is something that it's not a failure exactly, but it's definitely something that it's a challenge that you have to kind of work around and figure out. I guess the main thing is that it's a complicated topic and it's no one's fault if a book doesn't sell well, but nevertheless, yeah. you can feel really bad about it, feel really sorry about it. and yeah. I think you have to do the best you can in a sort of a mm. flowing river of stuff, of trends and changes in the world and just have to do your best to find your footing in that flowing river and to make sure that the ultimate quality of the book is really strong. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but but this is how I see it. It's just really a, a shared experience that everybody works really hard on together. So we think of it as something that we're all going to learn from. For instance, uh, someone who did the cover design might say the reason that book, book didn't work was because of the cover, darn it. You know, everybody might sort of take a bit of responsibility for it, but, but you don't want it to cramp mm-hmm. people's style and to have them feel like, oh, I'll never be able to design another cover. They need to be able to keep producing. Right. You need to have the writer continue to write if you want to have more books from them. It's like a teacher. You have to encourage them to keep striving yeah. to keep doing it as best they can.
0: So what drives you?
1: Well, I think the quality of the books. Mm. You know, As you were saying, how time can go by so quickly oh, and yeah. you are... In this case, I would be, you know, proposing a book and then I'm thinking, oh, my God, two years from now, this is going to be out. (laughs) And then two years just flies by and it's a book. And so we really see life kind of is in these two year segments in a way, but they're all overlapping like fish scales. There's Mm. one book is finishing, but you're deep in another one and then you've got another one that you're proposing. And so there's a whole momentum with that and creative yeah especially toward the at the beginning of a book when you're conceptualizing it and there's a lot of creative excitement and then when you're deep in it it's also really exciting and then at the end it's right. just like you're racing to meet the deadline with the final corrections and you've looked at this thing 18 times and but now you're really hitting the rapids and you really have to get yeah. that book to yeah, the printer exactly. there's the imperative of the printer and then a couple months later It lands on your desk, the first advanced copy, and you have that thrill. So there's a lot of moments along the path that are pretty great, give a lot back.
0: You know, and I love what you said earlier, you polish the book through the process, that is beautifully said.
1: Through many hands.
0: Through many, yes, yeah. If you could recommend one book, what would it be and why?
1: There's a few in my mind, but I think what I would recommend, since I want to be practical and helpful to your listeners, if they mm-hmm. were interested in writing a book for story, I would suggest that they look at one of Gail Damero's books, since I mentioned her already,
2: uh, in I terms guess. of
1: how to write prose that's both very clear, but also just so readable. And I mean, she hardly needs any editing at all. And we might have a question now and then just, you know, just to see it's it's got good pacing, which is something even nonfiction needs. So I would just suggest they look at her story's guide to raising chickens, or her chicken health handbook, even, You wouldn't believe a book on chicken health would be fascinating and compelling, but this is what we would strive for. So that's what I would say is a good model.
0: Perfect. And what one final piece of advice would you have for our listeners?
1: I think it's finding your own voice and -hmm. your own topic. I really feel Mm -hmm. that voice is what sells books, is what makes a bestseller is the unique voice of an author, whether it's just their own kind of life creeps into it or their humor, not heavy-handed, but just a quality to the writing that is just uniquely theirs, that is fresh. And that, so Mm -hmm. finding your own voice would be my advice.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Deb.
1: My pleasure.
0: So how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: They can email me. It's deb, D-E-B dot burns, B-U-R-N-S, at story, dot ycom deb.burns at story.com.
0: Perfect. And you can find all of Storybooks at story ycom story.com.
1: That's right. And we actually have on there, we have some information for prospective authors as well.
0: Oh, beautiful. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Story Publishing. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to Iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the 7 key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or Iwanttogarden.com.